0: Hi everyone, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your wonderful word to us. Speak to us now, we pray. Bring that transformation in us that we so wonderfully need because of your great work through Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how proud do you feel about Australia's performance at the Olympics? Uh, last time I checked, 44 medals, uh, and regardless of medals, plenty of incredible efforts. What about our own Jess Fox from right here in the Penrith Valley? Gold. And their glory rubs off on us, doesn't it? Uh, regardless of how sporty or not I am. Uh, their achievement is our joy. Connected as we are by our nationality, our geography, and history, we are Team Australia. And actually, as a nation, our lives are connected. and We receive the benefits of what each other do and what we do together. So we aren't just wealthy individually, we're wealthy as a nation. Uh, we have a history of uh, digging up and selling expensive rock of all shapes and sizes, or, or making money riding on the sheep's back. And that's why we can afford to plant grass in our yards rather than crops or build roads that get us places quickly or have a health system second in the world, uh, (laughs) second to none. And COVID has shown us again just how connected we are, hasn't it? Uh, How what one of us does affects the rest of us and how, too, governments can make decisions with powerful impacts. We experience many benefits because of our connectedness, from our oneness, from our unity. At the same time, we can still imagine something better, can't we? Where governments make the right decision for all the circumstances and all people get on board because they're committed to our common good. And epidemics, among other unpleasant things, aren't part of our experience. And now you and I, we live, we live in the knowledge that God provides such a unity, gives us a profound connection with Himself, through Jesus, and through him bestows on us every benefit we could ever need. We call it our union with Christ. Through it, through Him, we can experience a government that brings ultimate peace we can enjoy victory over our darkest enemies, we can receive a guilt-free existence and we can live in the righteousness that only God can give. Is that an experience that you share? And do you want to, would you like to appreciate all it means more and more? Well that's why we're looking at the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel coming straight off the back of 1 Samuel as it does, the two go hand in hand, because what unfolds here gives us a richer insight into who we are and what we are experiencing and what our future will be. When we are united with our King, with the Lord Jesus, the ruler over all. Actually what we heard read in chapter five today, I wonder if you notice that this is a climax in God's unfolding plans, tracing its origins all the way back to God's promises to Abraham in Genesis twelve, one to three, promises of a great nation, of a great name, and of God's blessing. And when some 500 years later, when the book of 1 Samuel starts, and you read Hannah's song of praise at its outset, Hannah, in fact, was Samuel's, uh, the prophet's mum, we read right at the beginning of both these books, it's there in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you see it in verse 10, he will give, you, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed the anointed, God's king, these books are about God's king, about the unique place and glory of God's king in keeping God's promises to Abraham. And we've talked about, haven't we, about Saul, Saul, Israel's first king, who we're told early on in 1 Samuel was physically a head taller than everyone else he cut an impressive figure but in his pride and failure to see he served at the pleasure of God his king was stripped of his place in God's kingdom he was humbled and brought low and so the mighty are brought low but his successor was David the lowly who were brought high only a boy when he was anointed to succeed Saul with nothing about his appearance that would mark him out as impressive or suitable for such a responsibility. But here in 2 Samuel 5, after being rejected, after being humiliated, after waiting patiently 15 years on the promises of God, the Lord gave him strength and exalted him. And here now, the people recognise what God had provided all along. It's a coronation, actually. Now, that's not a biblical word. The biblical word is an anointing, as in anointed with oil. But, well, have you ever seen the footage of Queen Elizabeth's coronation? Did you know that it was actually held over a year after she became the queen on the death of her father? And do you know why? Well, because it says much about the public recognition and the gathering of leaders from around the world, and fitting as many people into the room as to see that right, see the right person with the right credentials installed in the right way, so that everyone can have confidence in their rule. And in the nineteen fifties, it was a different era. Uh, where it took time to build all the extra seating that was needed and travel across the seas to get there and to get everything ready. David's anointing by the people, remember they didn't choose him, but rather recognised that God, what God had already decided, it, in verses 1 to 3, gets to the heart and character of the king's rule, of our king's rule. So let me read those verses again for us. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel in their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. Do you see what God's people doing here? What they are saying? They want to be united to David's reign. They want to experience the benefits of David's reign. Did you notice how they approach him? First that they do, he doesn't impose himself on them. But as they come to him, they approach him with this plea. We are your own flesh and blood. It's a compelling image, isn't it? saying, we are one, we're the same people, we're the same nation, we've received the same promises of God through Abraham. Take us into your care. Then they recognise that he is their deliverer. Saul might have been their king, they reflect, but it was David who is their leader, the leader who they needed to save them. What's more, they recognise he is God's king. Uh, and the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler, they repeat back to him. No doubt you've heard talk of shepherds and shepherding in the Bible, or the, perhaps that David was a shepherd himself, or in Psalm 23, written by David, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. But Jesus, Jesus takes over and fills the image for himself. And why? Because what began here with these words was given so we might see him. Here is how God's king rules his people. As the good shepherd, providing for his people nourishing them, delighting in them, protecting them, even disciplining them. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in John 10, uh, verse 11, and if you have a chance, do read the whole chapter later on, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that is our experience of Jesus. He became one with us through becoming human in order to die for us on the cross in order that we might live through his resurrection he became one with us in order to die for us in order that we might live through him what greater wonder could we experience than being united with and governed by the king who would do that Back now in 2 Samuel 5, David, for his part, he commits himself to God's people, making a covenant with them in verse 3. That's a a binding promise or agreement with them that he would be their king, that he would under God be their deliverer, that he would be their shepherd and ruler. And what unfolds next in the rest of the chapter and in the five chapters that come after this is the pattern of this king's reign, of God's king as he rules. Focusing as we are, we'll just concentrate on chapter five today, but what we see in the rest of this chapter is how God's king conquers the enemies of his people. I've said before that we often balk uh, at the talk of kings and authority and government, whether because we know how badly they can behave or because we don't want to be held to any authority other than ourselves. But in the words of the Bible, in God's word, we see the governance we need and what should shape our expectations of authority used responsibly. And if this is what it looks like, shouldn't we cry aloud, may your kingdom come? In verses 6 to 16, the enemies of his people are the Jebusites in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem really hasn't been a thing in the Bible up till now, and we'll come back to it again in a minute. But the people who live there, the people who defy David, were among the people that Israel was meant to have driven from the land. Back in the days of Moses and Joshua, when God promised them the whole area from the coast of the Mediterranean to the Jordan and beyond, they were meant to drive them out. Otherwise, God had warned them that his people would be led astray from serving the true God by those who followed false gods and would perish. The fact that they're still here reflects how Israel had failed to obey God and how they were in grave danger unless they were rescued from this enemy. But now... With God's king in place, a king after his own heart, David now proceeds to do what God had always intended for his people and overcome the arrogance of those who lived in Jerusalem and protect his people from this threat. Then it happens again from verse 17 to the end this time with the Philistines. You can imagine how they thought it through. Uh, They had numerous victories over Israel and were camped on uh, much of the land God had promised his people. So when they hear the news that David's uniting the tribes of Israel, they try and strike first before he can establish himself. But we see the pattern again that we've seen with David throughout this whole book. He inquires of the Lord first, recognizing it's only the lord's power that we will through him that we will have victory so we read in verse 19 so david inquired of the lord shall i go and attack the philistines will you deliver them into my hands and when he's given the answer yes and yes so it happens as promised The Philistines, this great enemy of God's people and thorn in their side is profoundly routed by God's king. Now he has come fully to his throne. Now, one of the things you might notice about the Old Testament, as you read it, is it's very concrete, isn't it? The enemies of God are the nations apart from Israel and the judgments of God when wielded bring death to those on whom it falls. So how are we meant to apply this to ourselves in our own time? Are we meant to strike the enemies of God down or embark on another crusade to rid the land of Palestine of those who don't trust Jesus as Lord? Certainly not. No, the victories here at the hand of God by the king chosen by God, they drive us to Jesus. Jesus. And we're warned not to defy him, aren't we? And on top of that, we're driven to the one who, like David, humbled himself, who was defied and despised by those he came to rescue. And yet as the Lord's anointed was exalted, winning the victory of all victories over sin and death and judgment. He did it for you and he did it for me. Listen to the way Paul puts it in Colossians and as he pinpoints the adversaries that stood against us and notice as you read it too the way in which we receive the benefits of his victory through our union with Christ. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We gain what we could never have achieved through our king, our own flesh and blood, through the shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. Now, of course, with victory comes peace and so it is with Jesus his rule provides peace but to consider that some more come back to the conquest of Jerusalem with me back from verse 6. Did you notice the way the Jebusites defied David? In fact in their defiance of him they defied the Lord God but verse 7 nevertheless David captured the fortress of Zion which is the city of David. Those are incredible words. Uh, Why, you might ask? Uh, It's not the first time Jerusalem has been mentioned in the Bible, but from this day when it was captured by the king after God's own heart, it had a special place in God's plans and purposes. It was from that day on that it was known as the city of David. With its fortunes now tied forever to God and his king David and likewise the fortress, the fortress of Zion or Mount Zion or simply Zion, they're one and the same with the city, entered the plans and promises of God. With the victory of the king settled Reading from verse 9, David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terrace inward. These are the signs of peace coming on all Israel through their king and with his settlement and the establishment of the king's palace in verse 11, so Israel had its new capital and peace had all but arrived for God's people as promised according to plan. And as with the victory over the Philistines, the Lord God's hand over this settled kingdom, this new peace uh, is there throughout. And we read from verse 10, and he became more and more powerful, David that is, because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Or in verse 12, then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. But those last words, those last words I read are a reminder to us, aren't they? David had been established as king, but not for his sake alone, but his kingdom was exalted for the sake of his people Israel and ultimately the promises of God. The promises of God first given to Abraham, which found their focus in the people of Israel, which were further focused on God's king among the Israelites. Through him, the benefits would then spread to those united to him. In the first place, for the sake of his people, Israel. But just as God had promised Abraham, so too to all the nations of the earth who recognize God's king. But of course, now we're not talking about David, are we? But the one he pointed to, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it'll become clearer that while David was great one, a great one among people, David wasn't everything we need in a king. He had his flaws, even as we're told of him take, taking for himself concubines and wives in defiance of the command of God through Moses. So we need to remember that this is not a narrative that can be broken down into a, you know, a, a, a Western with the goodies in white hats and the villains in black hats. People just aren't that simple. In fact, the conundrum of our humanity, yours and mine included, is how we can do both good and evil. David will turn out to be no different. But the one man who was, the man who is God among us, he directs our attention today away from the old Jerusalem, confined as it was to this world and this life, to the new Jerusalem, to the time in which we will dwell together with God and experience fully the victory over all our enemies, over all that is contrary to the blessings and goodness of God, even over death itself. This is where our union with Christ leads us. In Christ, it is all but ours now already. And so I want to finish As we look to that promise in Revelation 21 from verses 1 to 4, in the second last chapter of the Bible, this is our future and where we are headed because we enjoy our union with Christ and the benefits of all that comes with that. And so we read John's vision, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven, your plans and purposes for us are more wonderful than we could ever imagine. And so we thank you for your King, the one on whom you focused your promises in in order to bless all of us. We thank you that David pointed us to him, and that Jesus is the one in all in fulfilment of all your promises who is our flesh and blood, who has delivered us and who shepherds us as his very own sheep. Help us to trust him, we pray, and remain in him for his glory. Amen.